Hello, and welcome back to the Post-Cancer Podcast. This is a really exciting episode because we have our first guest. Um, It was so much fun to talk with another person who has been through a massive life change in the last few years. I want to do a quick little introduction for our guest, um, my good friend, Tori. Tori is actually studying her master's in clinical social work at the Columbia University School of Social Work. The reason that I reached out to have her as our first guest is because not only has she been in my life for over 20 years, but because she has experienced a huge loss um, just a few years ago, which then motivated her to take the path that she's currently on. And in addition to her getting her master's degree from Columbia University, she's also a fellow in their dialectical behavioral therapy program. For those of you who go to therapy, it's DBT, you probably do it. (laughs) But all of that basically just means that you are about to hear a lot of amazing information from somebody who has experienced grief and very low lows firsthand. And also, Um, is getting the education to know the best ways to help people who have gone through things like that. So she is honestly just such an amazing person, and I'm so happy to have her on the podcast. We talked about what life looked like for us as seniors in high school and how much has changed since then. We talk about both of our life-changing events, um, and best of all, we give advice to those who maybe have someone in their life who is experiencing grief currently and we just give kind of tips and and advice and perspective to help these people better help their friends or loved ones who may be going through a difficult time. So something that's kind of interesting is that we haven't really talked much about our grief for a few years and this actually was the first time that we had spoken about her loss since it happened a few years ago. So this is just, it's a really raw conversation between us. I feel grateful that she is willing to let me put this out there. I think that a lot of people are really going to benefit from hearing this. So I also have so much more of our conversation (laughs) that I didn't put into the episode, but I'm kind of holding on to it for a later episode because we went off on like so many tangents. Again, we've known each other forever. So It was hard for us to stay on track, but if you guys really, really like this episode, please, please let me know on Instagram if you want to hear more from Tori because I have so much that I didn't put in here. And if you're looking for us on Instagram, our handle is at postcancerpodcast, so please feel free to come check us out there and let me know of any suggestions or um, if the podcast has helped you in any way. I would love to hear from you guys. Okay, I have talked long enough. Please enjoy my conversation with Tori. What is your hope and intention for this episode? I think my hope and intention for this episode is to gain some perspective because I need some guidance right now. And I'm not saying that you are going to be like my blueprint, but you're already a couple steps ahead of me in the process. Like you haven't paid your electricity bill, but you know, the company that you're getting your electricity from already. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I still have like a match that I'm just like strike every 20 minutes. And I'm like, hello, where am I? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I think I just, I want to, I have like a couple talking points that I wanted to ask you about. I can, we can dive right in to my first question. It'll probably get us started, but. Okay, cool. Let's do it. When you were a senior in high school, what did your future look like to you? Oh, fuck. <laughs> what a question. Okay. Um, actually, this is a genius question. 
what did my future look like? It was pretty vanilla. It was automatic. It was what I think many Jewish Southern mixed with South African because, you know, my family is South African and South Africans are pretty traditional, especially South African Jews. I don't think I really knew the exact details. There definitely was a side to me that was living in manual, which which I definitely think was moving to Israel Mm -hmm. and taking that time to just explore and not necessarily jump into a career or into graduate school, but just let myself sort of be curious. I mean, I definitely saw myself getting married, having a family. I especially wanted that too, because I mean, as you know, my parents obviously have had multiple divorces, which all the people close to me know, and I've had many broken families from that. And so having my own family was always really important to me. That whole from my parents' divorces, definitely I was like looking to fill. Right. And I relate to that too. I think like we're similar in that way of as different as it is, I feel like I also kind of had a broken family life. And like, I remember like one of like the times I like yelled at my parents, I was like 10 years old and I was like, we never have even had a family game night before. Like, that's what I was so hung up on. Like, I was like, we don't do anything together, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that it does have a huge effect on children, obviously. And the extra layer too was like, we had a really, really beautiful blended family mm-hmm. my mom and my former stepdad it's just so weird to say former stepdad it's um, weird for me <laughs> to even hear you say that honestly <laughs> I know but I just had so you know they've had so many marriages my parents so and that one was actually much harder for me than my actual parents divorce even though of course it was difficult I kind of came to terms with it right but after the my mom and and stepdad's divorce that one really was really hard because we really were such a close bonded blended family definitely and we had game nights (laughs) (laughs) and we went on vacations right right. How, how old were you when that happened I was 20 I was in college and I think this is also where I can start tracking my brother's deterioration Mm. it was around the same time that he was making aliyah which for people who don't speak hebrew is immigration to israel and he was joining the idf through green safar and it just went really downhill and his mental health and physical health as you know took a huge toll and he passed away in 2017 from suicide it just shattered obviously all of our lives right so yeah, I, I started going to therapy after his passing and started to peel back all the layers. Like you have said in your podcast, going through something so massive like cancer or the grief of a loved one's suicide, it does change you. You're not going to be the same person. Mm-hmm. I think that a healthy relationship with your grief is an integrated identity. Um, I, I kind of feel like that's when you know that you have a healthy relationship is when you integrate who you were before with who you are now Mm. yeah that's so interesting it's not so like that was me then and that's me now it's like actually I'm a little bit of both oh my god (laughs) I can't wait until I get there (laughs) I'm like so not even close to being there at all right now (laughs) that's totally fine it's part of the process 
Right. And, and I went and I did some crazy shit, as you know, <laughs> through this process, which yeah. you won't go into. <laughs> Um, because there's a difference between vulnerability and oversharing (laughs) agreed 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 and that's everywhere (laughs) it crossed the line but yeah I mean you do things out of character during this time and you do go through an episode of depression often obviously this is not prescriptive I'm not saying like if you get cancer then you will have depression if your brother dies from suicide you will have depression I mean, with human behavior, I mean, you can't really make strong causal inferences. I mean, there is high predictability, of course, but like nothing is a prescription. Right. Um, But it's more like, you know, especially in the career I'm in as a therapist, it's more what is the presenting problem? Like, what is this person's symptoms? What are they going through? And let's try and explain it so that they have insight into why they're going through this and why they're feeling, thinking and behaving like this so that they understand it's not their fault. Right. Because so much of what you're going through when I was going through is this isolation and shame around what we went through. And I think that's a huge piece of grief that people don't talk about. The stories we tell ourselves around our grief because we're mm. meaning-making machines. Like we have to have our lives as a narrative to really understand it and move forward. And the problem with these events in life is that they shatter what we once thought we knew and they, and they break those stories wide open and well, everybody's wounds are different, but it definitely can exasperate your core wounds already. So if you, if you have core wounds of defectiveness or there's something wrong with me or abandonment or whatever it is, mm. like those things are going to be deeply triggered during these times. I would, I, I guess I've been wondering like, why is everything happening like right now? Like, mm-hmm. I guess I've been trying to figure out like, why can't I compartmentalize and be like, okay, look, I've been dealing with like childhood trauma for 28 years now can I just hold off can I just figure out what's going on with the cancer trauma figure that all out and then just like come back to the childhood drama later but it's like (laughs) no girly it's all going on right now and I'm like that's overwhelming yeah it's all tied into it right going back to you know my profession when somebody does come to us with a presenting problem it often is somebody coming in after a magnanimous event like cancer or or whatever it might be and yes we do need to address that immediately however you can't fully heal until you've really gone into the basement right because I guess you're not going to really you're going to react differently. Like I w- I'm, I'm reacting differently to having cancer and my trauma reads differently than somebody else who has had cancer. Even if we had it at the same age and we had similar lives, like everybody's going to process something totally, totally differently. And through the perspective and the lens of how they were raised and, and where they were in the point in their life where it happened. Right. right? And I mean, there are common themes, um, that you'll find. And if you like, for example, when I started the support group, mm-hmm. I, just quickly for the people listening, I started a support group in Israel for people who had lost a loved one uh, to suicide, specifically for immigrants, because there wasn't a English speaking group. And what's beautiful about joining a group. And if you haven't joined a post cancer group, I definitely recommend it because one, you see that there are common themes 
and that what you're feeling is completely normal and natural. And two, yes, that there are slight differences. And that is, of course, based off of the fact that we're all individuals with unique histories and personalities. There's something called in grief dual process model. So basically what that is, is it's a theory of grief that there's sort of two paths that you go on initially. And you want to, the hope, as I said, is to integrate them. And one of those paths is a preoccupation is what happens. So just always focused on it. Mm. And the other one is full on avoidance. For me, what I've found birthdays, like Ryan's birthday and his death anniversary, I'm definitely more in the preoccupation side. And I allow myself that space. Whereas I think the first year I really tried to avoid as much as possible. It's this weird dance between the two. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, you learn to sort of integrate them in and also in a healthier way where, you know, you can experience your grief and you can allow yourself to be sad without judging yourself. Really important. Yeah. My treatment ended two years ago. I think that part of the reason that I'm kind of just starting this journey is because of the pandemic and being stuck at home. My like preferred way of forgetting about things and letting go. I like to hang out with people. I like to be social. I like to be around friends. And I haven't been able to do that. You really were surrounded by a lot of like people and love and new, you know, trajectories and things like that. I feel like after Ryan's passing and I'm curious what advice you would have for somebody who maybe doesn't have those resources. (laughs) Yeah. And that's definitely, it's a unique thing to be going through this during a pandemic. It's like sort of the perfect cocktail, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, addressing your black and white thinking Mm -hmm. It's really important, but I want to back up for a second because you said something about, you know, you ended treatment two years ago and like, you're still now sort of going through this. And I would argue it's not that you're still now going through this. It's that you don't really process it until a year or two later, because you're literally acting from your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight response. So. Okay. Science. taught me if I like you know. <laughs> no I, I like it I love it it's like this is why I wanted to have you on here because you like actually have answers and reasoning behind like all the things you're saying <laughs> I just talk into the void <laughs> no always I'm still learning like let's just like let the audience yeah. know like I haven't even graduated yet <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so you're in your fight or flight response you're literally trying to survive you don't have time right if you're in survival right let's go back to like caveman days you don't have time to like <laughs> stop and reflect (laughs) and like think about why you are this way and where you want to go. Like, no, like you're literally just focusing on living. And so when you've had a very traumatic event, that's the state you're in for a while. And it does take time before you start to come down from that. Mm -hmm. And start to come down from that. That's when your body realizes, okay, like I'm not going to die. Right. I can start to process this. And that's when it does get really intense. Right. It felt numb for me up until then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt really 
numb for a while. So like when Ryan died, I was like, okay, like I know that for my healing, I need support. I I know from the books <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that you can't heal trauma without support. Right. And I, I deserve that. And you deserve that. And anybody listening to this who's been through trauma deserves that. That's mm-hmm. so critical. You can't do this alone. First of all, I was sharing that grief with my family. Right. And so are you uh, sharing that grief too with your friends. You know, like your friends also had a best friend who had cancer. So right. It's all shared and that can get really hard to be vulnerable and be open with those people, even though that is actually our work though. And we would actually be far better off if we were open and vulnerable with those people. Yeah. Um, But that's the work that you have to go through. And to do that, I felt like I needed a group of people who weren't my relatives, weren't my friends, Mm -hmm. who I could share that experience with. And now being able to talk about it so freely with people I love, I can share memories with Ryan now. Yeah, it definitely took a long time for you to get to a place like this. Yes. Like I was actually kind of shocked, like in the beginning when we first started talking about it, how like open you were being about it because it took a really long time. Yeah. You know, people have come to me like, wow, like you're so open about it. And I'm like, it wasn't right away. Like the first year I was trying to act like my life was normal. Like I literally look back at my social media and I'm like posting photos of myself in Santorini with my ex-husband and (laughs) like pretending like whatever, like life goes on you know I'm fine you can't live like that that's not a sustainable model you can only go so long wearing a mask eventually the curtain gets pulled back whether okay quarantine trigger okay no. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm joking I'm joking gosh you know this is so interesting because we haven't actually like retrospectively talked about everything that happened with your brother, like since it happened. But it's so interesting to like put myself back in my shoes when that all happened, looking at how I thought about you and how I felt about my relationship with you and my responsibility as your friend. Let's talk about it. Let's go there. Yeah. Cause like, I guess it's, that's so interesting for me because I never would put myself in those shoes again, but I guess that's kind of how all of y'all feel about me mm-hmm. yeah right now even because mm-hmm. like I mean w- when you were posting those pictures and you were going on trips and stuff we were all kind of like we just let you do it because we were like she's like on her own timeline it's gonna be okay we'll just be here for her whenever when the shit hits the fan <laughs> yeah whenever she feels like she wants to come to us yeah. we're not gonna like message you and be like maybe don't go on a trip right now yeah Cindy. you need to like take a breath we we're just like there were few things like maybe don't get a tattoo right now maybe like one of us tried maybe me but I just think maybe it was overlooked um (laughs) and I think that that's something that we also need to dive into because one of the things that happens during this time is that your friends start to tread lightly and treat you differently and it's terrible yeah for so long I was definitely that friend that was like there for everybody and now all of a sudden everybody's there for me and they're not coming to me with their needs and their problems. I feel that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you can relate. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge fundamental piece to somebody's purpose and well-being. Right, because it also makes you feel like there is something different. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish that I could go back now. The The hard thing about all this is that like, we really went through some heavy stuff and we were so young. So it's like, how do we expect our friends? I mean, how old were we when every, when that happened with Ryan? Like 22? 20, um, we were 20. I'm oh, sorry. I was. Okay. You can say we, our birthdays are three days apart. <laughs> 23. Okay. So that's like really young for our friend group to feel like we could understand how to really help you. Oh yeah. I mean, you we know, all went on that journey together. And one of the things, two things I want to say, one, I want to ask you what it was like to come and tell me you had cancer because it was shortly after Ryan died. Mm-hmm. I feel like you were treading lightly with me. <laughs> you were the last friend I told. <laughs> and um, the second thing that I wanted to share, though, was you were, I think, one of the only friends that treated me like normally. And my one of my favorite stories that I love to tell, <laughs> you know where this is going. It's a good one. <laughs> share it with the podcast. <laughs> so it was at my brother's Shiva and Danny and I were talking, I don't know, it's about whatever. And she goes, I'm obviously sort of spacey and not listening fully. By the way, when this all happened, she was living in Israel. So Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, kind of on the other side of the world and then having to travel over here. And a lot of things are happening so quickly. And it's like, you were just like still jet lagged, you know, (laughs) like it was a lot. It was, it was a heavy time. That's truly the only time in my life that I have felt completely out of control. Like just mm-hmm. that plane ride. There's no word for it. Mm-hmm. Going back to the, the story, cause it's actually hilarious and we all need <laughs> humor relief. Um, so I was completely spacey, wasn't fully listening to what you were saying. And all I heard was you go, look at me, but I missed what you had said <laughs> before. And so I like, deeply start staring at you and and you're like what the are you doing (laughs) and I'm like I'm looking at you you told me to look at you and you go no you idiot (laughs) if you need me then look at me (laughs) and we just like start cracking up at my brother Shiva and everyone is staring at us like what is going on and I everyone's like wow they're so insensitive (laughs) and I was just so so appreciative of that moment because you were just treating me like you always treat me <laughs> <laughs> like an idiot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, everybody We're in an emotionally abusive relationship yeah no you idiot <laughs> <laughs> um and I just love that moment and I and I think that moment to just it's important for people to understand that people who go through grief or trauma like they're not these like fragile little things like right. human beings are very resilient and to start treating your friends differently is probably the worst thing you can do well how do you feel about that? I I mean I totally agree I think that we end up feeling more fragile based on the way people treat us because like I didn't really realize this until way later but I I really pushed people away. I, I kind of had this like weird mindset of like, well, it's only six months of chemotherapy that I was like told at the beginning. And I was like, it's just six months. I don't want to like make new memories during this six months. I kind of want to just like press pause and just let myself go through this and like 
I'm just going to shut everybody out. I don't need anybody right now. I'm just going to go through this on my own. And then like, when it's done, I'll just like come back and we'll just like pick back up where we left off, you know? And I think it's hard because like people don't know how to process everything. Like you said before, also for my friends and my family and everything, they also were dealing with something that is pretty traumatic. So of course they just let me do what I said, which was like, I'll just like let you know when everything's done. Like you don't need to reach out to me all the time. You don't need to like check in on me. Like if I need something, I'll reach out. And I kind of set that precedent and who's going to like push back and be like, no, listen, you're going to need people. You know, People are just like, okay, like you just do what you need to do. And then like six months went by and like, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody completely negated me. Like, I mean, I definitely had people reach out still, you know, I'm really grateful for so many of my friends who like flew out to LA to stay with me and take care of me and without even asking. And those are the kinds of things that I really encourage people to do. If, if you have a relationship with someone that you've had for a really long time and you're very close and you are best friends, I'm not trying to speak for everybody, but you have more authority than you think you do. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You have to kind of register in your brain, like, how do I think this person is going to react to me acting totally normal and telling them like, no, you idiot. This is what I said, right? In a normal situation you're not a sensitive person. So you wouldn't have been like, oh my God, you call me an idiot. You know, like in a normal situation, we would laugh it off. So I just kind of took that cue of being like, I'm not going to like tiptoe around this and me calling her an idiot right now. Isn't going to make her be like, why would you do that right now? Like I'm grieving. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's just, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, your friends really well. And I do think, you know, you just make the executive call. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like you did that for me a couple of times. And I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's because you had gone through something similar? Only because I had been through grief. Did I know? Right. Because I didn't really know what the hell was going on either. So like, I'm just like in this mode of trying to protect everybody else and be like, I'm not freaking out. So like, you don't need to freak out. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And you want, you want to calm other people down. Like, you know, especially when we both have very nurturing caretaking parts of ourselves. It's very hard for us to let mm -hmm. other people do the caretaking. And, but you, you can't get by these, right. these events without that. And so when you've gone through grief yourself, you know that you just want people to reach out and tell you sort of what you need. You know, there's almost like you don't, sure. you don't really know what you need. So when somebody's like, Hey, like, you know, let me know what you need. You're like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. And that's why I'm not reaching mm -hmm. out. What's the tip I, I want to give people is if you have a loved one who's going through grief, it's be specific. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm passing by this burger place. Can I pick you up a burger? Oh, like yes. whatever, whatever it is, but just be specific and just do it. Don't, yeah. don't, don't wait for the okay or the permission. Mm -hmm. Because I can guarantee you, and this is in general, by the way, like, let's just say like in terms of relationships, totally like, people want to be reached out to. I don't know why there's such a fear people have of, about picking up the phone and calling somebody and thinking that they're going to be a burden in some way or that they're going to cause. I, it's like this weird fear people have. It's like people love to be reached out to. If there's somebody you're right. thinking of right now, call them, mm -hmm. call them you're thinking of them. Yeah. Life's too short. It's true. I wonder what that is because it, that is so weird that people, and I, going back to what I was saying before about how, like, if you really are as close to this person as you think you are, which spoiler, you 
are. Like take those as executive decisions because I think for me, what made it so hard is that I felt really fragile because I was being told that I was fragile. Like we won't get too deep into the rabbit hole of all that, but it's like, I was just like constantly being reminded of my fragility. And I think that if I wasn't having that constant reminder, I probably would have been able to get through that time with a little bit more strength and like mental clarity. Oof, wait, hold on. I want to break the myth here. Because we break the myth here, girly. Are you hearing this, folks? This is an exclusive myth break. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an original thought. Um, but <laughs> I nothing is. Nothing is. Everything's recycled. It's so common that we place fragility as the opposite of strength. And I I just mm. want to break that myth because it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um Fragility, like that. Fr- fragility is strength. Uh, being sensitive is strength. Okay. Let's, yes. Let's definitely break that myth and blow it up. Let's blow this popsicle stand because <laughs> that is a myth that I unfortunately and and you too have subscribed to for a very long time. And this is one of my transformations. I'd say my one of my biggest transformations initially after Ryan died in that first year. I had so many affirmations from people around how sorry for my dog barking um jesus christ (laughs) that was not a bark that was a that was a yelp for that's by the way my mom's dog (laughs) um i totally lost my train of thought where was i (gasps) fragility blow up the popsicle stand fragility is strength the affirmations I was getting around my grief in the first year was, wow, like you are so strong. You're a rock star. Why, why are people saying that? Not because I was letting people in and being vulnerable and showing my emotion, but because I literally was a robot. If when, when I look back at the, Oh my God, I relate to this so much. Oh my God. So messed up. We have to stop telling people you're so strong because they're hiding their emotions. We have to stop. Yes. That's not strength. Like my mom and I used to laugh when people would be like, you're so strong, you know? Cause it's like, what do you mean? Right. I'm not feeling or experiencing anything. Like my, I'm completely shut down right I'm now. I'm completely numb and shut down and you're complimenting me that I'm strong. I always took it as like, I'm strong because I'm resilient and I'm getting through something that's so hard. And no, most people would never be able to get through this. I can tell you right now. I mean, (laughs) I am amazing, but (laughs) I will say anybody that goes through something like that, you will be just as strong as anybody else that has ever gone through it because you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying mental strength. I'm saying like physical strength because you run with it. You're not making conscious decisions to be like, you know what, today I'm just going to have a good day and I'm going to hold it together. You're not doing that. You're just, you're just holding it together. It's not a conscious effort. And if you think that you're the kind of person that would, you're like, oh no, I just, I could never, I would, I would be like crying all the time. No, you wouldn't. Your brain takes over and it shuts all of that down because like you don't have the wherewithal to deal with the emotions of it and also rebuild your body and like gain that physical strength that, I mean, I know that we went through different things, but like for, for me, I was literally injecting my body with poison and so like I didn't have time for my brain to try and like comprehend what's going on like my brain shut down my brain was like you got one job and it's just 
get through it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I guarantee you that when you did have moments of showing emotion, there wasn't anybody there who, who went, wow, you're so strong. There was nobody there. Not for any of the times. I think I had like two mental breakdowns the entire time. The first one was when I started really losing my hair because I can had convinced myself that I was going to be like this one person who that doesn't happen to, even though my doctor made it very clear, like you will lose your hair. But I was like, maybe I won't because it didn't happen after the first chemo. It didn't happen after the second one. Mm. But then the third one came and I was in the shower and I was washing my hair like normal. And then I just, I looked down and there was just like, all of my hair was just like in my hand. And I broke down in the shower because I was like faced with the reality of like what really was going on. But I still didn't even let myself get that far because I was only crying about the fact that my hair was gone. I wasn't crying about the fact that I had cancer. I couldn't even get there, mm-hmm. you know? But I will, I do want to add that I do think that this is where there are slight variations in how people handle these moments. And because of our trauma that we grew up with, I think we did learn from an early age. We associated strength with repressing these emotions. For sure. And we got we got positive affirmation from our friends and our teachers for those things mm-hmm. because- when you're growing up, especially, you know, performance is key. And there's this idea we have that if you're being emotional and sensitive, you're not performing well. You know, there's some cheesy quotes that are uh, rummaging in my mind. I just need to get out. Um, get them out, girl. <laughs> so one of them is from <laughs> Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> that would be one of your faves. <laughs> funny because I remember watching that movie when it first came out and not relating to it at all. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Should I watch it again? You should watch it again. <laughs> and now I've watched it and I'm like, wow, it's, I totally get it now. Anyway, <sighs> so there's a really cheesy line and I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but it's something like ruin is the road to transformation. Mm. And the other, a Jonathan Safran Four quote, he's a, a really wonderful author for anybody who doesn't know him. One of my favorite quotes from him is you can't protect yourself from sadness without protecting yourself from happiness. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Yeah. I wanted to say something earlier. I think that Ryan's death in a way prepared me a little bit Mm -hmm. because I might start crying, but like, I remember when my mom called me and told me, and that was the first time. Sorry. Oh my gosh. This is the, but this is the space to do it. As you know, we've seen each (laughs) other cry so many times. Yeah. So Um, important for everybody else to, to see it too. But when my mom called me, that was the first time I had ever been told that somebody had passed away and I didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. I never understood what those like phases of grief were, which is the first one's like denial. Well, actually, that's not even a thing anymore. Okay, therapist, whatever. <laughs> um- <laughs> like linear like you know steps but anyway let's go back to what you were saying I I had never experienced denial like that ever in my entire life and like and my biological father had passed away already at this point I I remember that clearly it was really crazy for me because I just kept saying on the phone to my mom I was like what I was like are you sure like somebody's gonna and mishear that but like I just I couldn't even believe it I kept asking her I was like are you who did you talk to are you sure are you sure I was like I gotta go I gotta go I hung up the first thing I did was call and then like when she said it 
it like kind of hit me where I was like, yeah. I really, I could not, I couldn't comprehend it. It was- It's inconceivable. It, it was inconceivable. I was fully expecting my mom to be like, wait, maybe you're right. Maybe I miss it. Like I, I genuinely thought that she would say that. I was so in, in disbelief. Of course, it, it, it is something that is inconceivable. You know, a 27 year old taking their own life is something inconceivable. It's not something that we can process in one night, let alone, you know, it's, I'm now almost four years out and yeah. taking me, and I'm not, I know my grief journey isn't done. You know, right. there's no real arrival. There's no other side. Yeah. There's just acceptance and adjustment. And, um, and it does obviously evolve and grow and change, but what you experienced was exactly what I experienced when I got the phone call. I'm not going to go into the phone call I got because right. it was, um, traumatic yeah. and, um, again, going back to the difference between vulnerability and oversharing but um obviously you know the story um and my closest friends know the story but I had the same reaction where I you know like asked to talk to somebody else and verify like like I remember just saying like is Ryan really dead hey guys it's me editing the podcast um I just wanted to jump in really quickly and let you guys know why I'm skipping the next part of our conversation because um, like I said earlier Tori and I have been friends for a very long time and we're very close and so while we were having this conversation like I said earlier in the podcast we haven't really actually talked about this since it happened which was a few years ago and so we kind of went off on a little bit of like a personal tangent um, and things got a little bit more personal than we both would like to have out there on this podcast so I just wanted to (laughs) I just wanted to give a little bit of an explanation as to why there's a little bit of a jump in time right here but I hope you're enjoying so far continue to enjoy you know there was a poem that I wrote in the midst of Ryan's passing, what you're going through just reminds me so much of this poem. I think that's a cool way to end because I kind of feel like this poem is relatable to what you're going through right now. It's called An Open Letter to Grief. Almost two years have gone by and it's hard to accept that no matter how much I try, a big wave comes to intercept. I keep struggling to kiss the shore. I keep crying out to the wave. This is an unfair war, an unjust attack. Only moments ago, I arrived at the shoreline, but already you want to send me away. I'm tired of your constant games and redesign and don't even think about trying this again next Monday. But don't worry, I'll just find myself a kayak. I'll find a way back. Maybe then I'll feel an everglow. Maybe then I'll reach the end goal. Maybe then I'll finally feel no more sorrow. Maybe then he'll finally return to his body and soul. But grief, you have other plans for me, don't you? You cunning son of a bitch. I seriously just wanna kick the shit out of you, but instead I just got a tattoo. Oh grief, you think you're so smart. You think you've got the monopoly on my heart, but let me warn you, you big old tart, 
I'm in therapy now. So you might want to watch your back, sweetheart. Shit. I'm sorry if I crossed the line there. Please forgive me. I'm still dealing with torrential anger. I'd like to make amends. I'd like to even be friends. But before you reply, I have to warn. I'm always on standby, always feeling torn. I know you can't tell. That's because I've created a secret spell. I've never told this to anyone before. Maybe that means there's something here to explore. If your answer is yes, I'd love to learn more. I know that your intentions are pure and deep down, I know that there isn't a cure. If I'm being totally honest, you're more kind to me than I care to admit. In your perilous waters, I also see the ultimate sunsets. So I'm sorry that I've made you out to be the culprit. And if we're already in deep water, can I also just go ahead and ask, have you always been a sculptor or was it just a fluke of a task? I forgot, you're a bit of an introvert. I'll start wrapping this up. I'll keep it short and become your devoted convert. I'll find refuge only through tears of worship. Dear grief, if I build a kayak to get me to shore, what material should I use? Can you at least tell me that? Remember, you are not alone. You're never alone. And there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. See you next week.